And the reason that I'm here with Ezra Ford today talking about Whitney Houston is that I saw the movie, uh, I Want to Dance with Somebody, with British actress Naomi Aki, 30-year-old British actress playing Whitney. Um, you said that your boss told you you must see this film because she was electrifying as Whitney. I did not... She did a good job. I did not think at, at any point... You know that's Whitney on the screen. Um, there, there, there was a separation, and it could just be because Whitney was, you know, I, I am the MTV generation when MTV was actually music television. I'm the one who sat in front of the TV at two or three years old, videotaping uh, my favorite videos onto a VHS tape and watching them over and over and over and over again. Uh, and one of those that I played incessantly was I Want to Dance with Somebody because I absolutely, probably my very first crush was Whitney <laughs> Houston. And uh, because she had it all. She had the voice. She was dropped dead gorgeous. She was sweet, she was talented, I mean, she had everything, and that, I'm sure you will agree with me, is what makes it so tragic about the last half of her life or so, which was, you know, all too brief as it was, uh, because she fell victim to uh, drugs, which so many people do, who have to be these personas that are bigger than their human bodies actually are, and you have to rely on things like drugs to stay afloat and and, and eventually uh, pay the ultimate sacrifice. Um, did I sum that up right, or is there anything you want to add to that? Yeah, oh, just to, just that she was a, a once in a generation of talent. Yeah. Uh, you know, that that voice and, and the production of those songs. And I mean, just how incredibly talented she she was. And, you know, there are very few artists that you just hear a few notes of them and know exactly who that is. And for her to ha have had the voice and to have had the string of hits that she had. And then, uh, as you mentioned, just all too, the, the all too familiar script for the same thing with Elvis, you know, your mm. persona becomes so huge. And uh, I think the disadvantage, the, the Beatles often mentioned that they, as much as they loved and admired Elvis, they pitied Elvis because the Beatles had each other. There, mm. there were four Beatles, yes. right? Elvis was alone. Yeah. And I think in many ways, when you are a solo artist like that and you become a, a phenom, uh, like an Elvis Presley, like a Whitney Houston, you don't have anyone, number one, to keep you in check. So you are maybe more likely to do what you want in developing some of those uh, less than healthy habits. Uh, and, you know, you don't have anyone to also kind of celebrate or to talk to about the mania and the madness that is celebrity and, and rising to heights that those two artists did, you know, Lennon and McCartney could maybe check each other or could kind of just support each other, you know, Harrison and Starr and just the four Beatles together being able to be like, 
trying to support each other and to be there for each other during that madness was an advantage that someone like Elvis and someone like Wendy didn't have. And, you know, you wonder how much that played into their own undoing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, what I liked about this movie is that it was mostly about the music. You know, you can get into the, to the scandalous part of Whitney's life with the drugs and, you know, she had her girlfriend who, Robin Crawford, who people want to say, was she gay? Was she not gay? Was she bisexual? And then you have the period of Bobby Brown. You know, I didn't want to particularly see, you know, uh, graphic scenes between her and Robin Crawford or between her and Bobby Brown for that matter. Uh, and, and the, and the, the film doesn't really focus on that. It, it touches on it because it has to, but it doesn't focus on it. It focuses on the iconic performances that she did in her life. Many of which I remember seeing live, like the welcome home heroes concert that she did when all the when all the the uh, the uh, military uh, came home from Desert Storm and she gave that concert in Norfolk, uh, when she did the uh, national anthem uh, in 1991 for the Super Bowl while everybody was over at Desert Storm, that to me, I because I saw that on TV that night. And I, I was six years old, and I will never forget it. We've never heard it sung like that. We'll never hear it sung like that again. Um, is that a performance that you remember, or do you have a, a Whitney performance oh, that you know? Oh, absolutely. That that Super Bowl performance of the of the national anthem. When you think about where the country was at the time, mm. uh, the the only other you know, rendering of, of the Star Spangled Banner, I mean, other than Hendrix, obviously, but that's, mm. you know, apple, apples and oranges. But right. I think about, uh, I think about Marvin Gaye at the NBA All-Star Game. Right. And how he, he did it almost kind of like with that bossa nova kind of beat that Marvin brought uh, in his early, in the early 80s with just, you know, some of those classics. So I think of, I think of him, but I mean, to, to even whisper, to even be whispered in the same breath as Marvin Gaye just reiterates how how high Whitney climbed as far as just an an icon and to you know be able to unite the country with your voice like that because the more that right. we sit here and talk about it, the more I think about how first of all time you hear Whitney Houston that voice doesn't even sound like it comes from this planet. Right, and it's funny that you said Marvin Gaye because. She she said when she was asked to do it, she went to her musical director, who is Ricky Minor, who people will know from, he directed the band on American Idol. He was also Jay Leno's band director for a time. She went to Ricky and said, you know, I, I want to do this my way. Have you heard Marvin Gaye when he sang at the NBA in, a, in that is also like a year before he was tragically shot fatally by his own father. So that has more emotion to it when you hear that um, than it otherwise would have. But he said, did you hear Marvin Gaye? Marvin came out with his own beat. Marvin took his time. 
Marvin sang it the way he would would sing any song. That's the way I want to do it. So instead of, you know, oh, say, can you see, Whitney was doing, oh, say, can you see? You know, she she was she was doing it in her own way, and Marvin was the inspiration for that. And so I'm I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, another performance that I've seen it was before my time, but I've watched it many times on uh, YouTube. Is uh, Home, which is the main title from The Wiz, uh, which was her debut performance. Uh, she was on the Merv Griffin show and she was 19 years old and she walked, walked out and sings the song and her mother. Do, what, how much do you know about her mother, Sissy Houston? I just know that she was a great, great gospel and soul singer. Yeah. I don't know. A, I don't know a whole lot about her backstory other than that. Uh, you know, the, the apple didn't fall too far from the tree from uh, from her incredibly talented daughter. Sissy. To, to, her, to her daughter from her. Sissy, Sissy was the Atlantic Records backup singer. So any Atlantic Records, any record you have, anywhere from Elvis to Wilson Pickett to Aretha to, to uh, Dusty Springfield, my favorite album, Dusty in Memphis, uh, uh, you know, any any of those Atlantic records, Bette Midler, uh, David Boy. Oh, Young Americans. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Young okay. Americans. Oh, right. That's yeah. it. Oh, yes. Yeah. Sissy, Sissy came up with that, and that's her singing it. Yeah, because Luther Vandross is on that session, yep. too. Cause Bo, that's when Bowie was like, I want to completely leave Glam behind and and make this kind of, you know, blue-eyed soul kind of record. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. And so that was Sissy that, that came up with that. Um, and so she was, any 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 Atlantic record that you buy, which you know is one of the great labels in history, Sissy was leading the, the, the backup. Um, uh, the, the Aretha song, Ain't No Way, this insanely high pitch in the back as she's doing the, the chorus, that's Sissy. Um, yeah. So, you know, she she was incredible herself. Uh, I remember now, I remember now that I'd read that she was, uh, she was on a couple of Elvis records. I'm right. going to dig back and, and see which Elvis records she was on. Right, right. Um, the, the Sweet Inspirations, the group The Sweet Inspirations, she was the lead of that. And they backed up everybody on Atlantic Records. So and 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 also Elvis. So yes, indeed. Um, but anyway, Whitney was doing uh, "Home" uh, from The Wiz on her debut, and Sissy's sitting backstage, and she says, "The band is is too slow, so they need to speed it up." So she sneaks backstage and directs the band to move them to pick up the pace. <laughs> to, to pick it up, to keep up with Whitney. And if you look at the tape, you can see her in the background conducting the band to keep them on pace. And Merv Griffin says at the end of that performance, and this was before her debut record or anything, he says, Whitney Houston, we won't forget that name. And he had no idea... <laughs> He had no idea 
what those six or seven words were going to mean and oh yeah for the rest for the rest of time um and like i said what i like about that is it doesn't it doesn't shy away from the drugs it doesn't shy away from things people might want to know about her personal life but i really could care less i want to know about the music and it is mostly it is mostly about the music and they do use her voice on on they because you can't duplicate Whitney's voice, so they do use her her actual voice on the recordings and and uh, except for uh, her very first uh, greatest love of all performance when she was very young, which they use Naomi Aki's voice. Um, so I, I was I was glad that they used Whitney's voice. I know that uh, a lot of folks. Felt like Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, glossed over some of the darker sides and the darker parts of Freddie's life. But you know, these these films are supposed to be a celebration of of, of the artist and of you know the the spirit and just that uh, you know obviously a lot of famous folks struggle with a, a lot of these demons, just like you know any anyone in any walk of life struggles with that type of thing. I think obviously when you're famous and you have that level of success, you can indulge yourself a little bit more, but Sasha Baron Cohen uh, had wanted to, had originally been uh, picked to play Freddie, and the story that he wanted to tell, he wanted to be very warts and all and very hard R as far as some of the subject matter. And, uh, you know, Roger Taylor and Brian May were just like, look, you know, Freddie never hid any part of that among his, his friends and his peer group. And, you know, obviously if you want to know about that side of Freddie, goodness knows there's plenty of books and there's plenty of, you know, places that you can read all about, you know, the debauchery that was his life, but mm. they wanted to remember their friend and they wanted to portray him in a loving and, and caring manner. And I think that's what they did. So, you know, to each their own as far as what they want. But, you know, if you want to learn that there, if you want to find out about those darker sides of folks, it's not like you these incredibly famous individuals don't have about half a dozen books. I mean, I don't know off the top of my head, but I'm sure someone's written a, you know, what's an all account of, of Whitney's life. So yeah. I don't think that's necessarily, I don't think that necessarily has to be at the forefront of any motion picture. I mean, obviously I'm sure it sells tickets, but you know, you also kind of want to have some respect for the subject matter and for, you know, the folks that are still with us that uh, were close to those folks. Plenty of of uh, documentaries, hard hitting documentaries out there about Whitney and her last days and her sexual preferences and all that. Plenty, plenty of that. Even a uh, theatrically released documentary from like 2018, I think. Uh, Clive Davis was a producer on this film, who was the one who discovered her and put her on the map and found those great songs for her to sing. He wanted the music to be captured, and I think he did that successfully. Uh, the acting was good, not great. Stanley Tucci played uh, Clive Davis. I think he was probably the best uh, individual performance in the whole thing. Uh, some things that sort of surprised me was, and might surprise most people, was that it was not Bobby Brown, that was the villain in the film, although although he certainly was no saint and no help in her life, 
he was not the ultimate villain. It was, in fact, her father, John, who squandered tens of millions of dollars of his daughter's earnings and and w was the main reason that she had to work so hard. And finally, when he got sick and went into the hospital, she put her sister-in-law in charge to managing her. He, instead of, she did it to make it easier on him, and instead of being grateful for that, he said, then you pay me the $100 million that you owe me, and, and sued her at the end of his life for $100 million. So how could that have made her feel, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, Whitney was, it 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 look it made it look in the film like Clive Davis was the only father fi real father figure that Whitney had, and if you don't have a father figure in life, you're not gonna pick you're not gonna pick the right you're not gonna pick the right guy, or or girl whatever the situation whatever whatever you you choose, um, but I think Whitney just wanted to be loved, and she. She wanted to be loved as a person, not as Whitney Houston the star. Mm -hmm. And I think she and I think she would have taken that in in any form or fashion, any way she could get it. That that's that's how it came across to me. Um, but of course, as we talked about, you and I are girl dads for life. Uh, we are devoted to our one and only daughters. Uh, Whitney had a one and only daughter, Bobby Christina, and we know, unfortunately, uh, the very similar fate that that she suffered, uh, death being in eerily, eerily similar to her mother's, uh, only 22 years old, and Whitney was only 48. Um, watching scenes of Whitney being hauled off to rehab in front of her daughter or having her daughter brush her mother's hair and sing to her to comfort her, uh, playing the motherly role for the adult, those scenes are almost unbearable to watch for me as a father, uh, especially knowing what would eventually happen. Those, those, those things, those, those particular things really hit me in the heart. And I can imagine you would feel the same way watching the, the watching the movie. Oh yeah, uh, I mean, and I think any anyone who's had a family member that struggled with addiction, uh, so in, in instances like that, I think it's all too uh, common in a, a lot of homes and in a lot of stories where the you know parent or the the child actually ends up being more of a parent to the. Uh, Right, parent than the parent is, and, so, and yeah, and, and I mean, and that's heartbreaking. And not just addiction, but any kind of trauma inflicted on a child, you know, uh, any kind of trauma. And she said at one point, she goes on tour with me, and she sees everything. That baby saw things that she should never have had to see. I mean, I mean that is, that is very clear, and it was it was clear that Whitney loved her daughter, but had no clue how to be a mother. Perhaps that was because she never got the doting that she needed herself as a daughter. Uh, you know, but I tend to really overanalyze things like that, and and those those scenes, you know, being 
you know, with my daughter being the center of my world, just to imagine any child having to go through that at such a level is, is particularly knowing how the story ends, as you said. Um, thank God it doesn't show uh, Whitney dying. It it shows her right up to the end. Uh, it shows up to the night she died. Um, she was going to go sing at Clive Davis's um, Grammy party, and she was going to sing home just as she sang it. You know, she was determined she was going to get that high note back. And we all knew that the note was gone. You know, we were pulling for her when she put that last album out. We wanted it to do well. You know, it went to number one and it sold a million copies. But, uh, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but, uh, you know, towards the last 10, 15 years, Whitney could not do Whitney anymore. And you think that's a fair way of putting it? I think so. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd said that Father Time is undefeated, and, right. you know, the the voice is uh, the most precious instrument that we have. So uh, if you don't, if you take care of it, it'll take care of you. Right. Uh, you know, I don't think, I, I think you, Whitney certain, certainly isn't the only vocalist who's ever, no. you know, gotten older and no. lost a little bit of zip on their fastball. And um, and I, I and tell you that when you abuse that instrument in the way that Whitney abused it, then I it's not going to take care of you the way that you need it to. Because because you're you're a singer, you're you're a singer, and uh, you have a great voice. Um, I imagine it doesn't sound the way that it did when you were twenty five. Uh, what do you do to keep your voice in check? I do a ton of cardio. Uh, I feel like if, you know, if uh, yeah, I was talking to somebody about it the other day, uh, you don't, if, if you take care of your voice, it'll take care of you. Frank Sinatra used to swim mm. uh, because obviously you want to keep that lung capacity. You want to build that lung capacity. I'm a fanatic for jogging. So I love to run uh, drink plenty of water and just be mindful of how you take care of the instrument. Like we don't, uh, when, when we're practicing for shows, our, uh, our bass player is always like, we could practice tonight before the show. Right. And Stephanie Bryson and I, uh, who's the co co-lead vocalist in uh, the breakfast club. We're just like, there's no way that we're going to practice tonight before a gig. Because <laughs> you got to keep the, I mean, yeah. you got to keep the pipes fresh. So a ton of water, a lot of tea, uh, you know, a little toddy here and there just to keep everything on the up and up. And uh, just you you definitely I cringe when I think about how I didn't take care of my voice when I was younger and when I was in rock bands in college. Now, you know, when you're younger, you think you're bulletproof anyway. And now I look back at it and I'm just absolutely horrified at yeah. you know, some of the stuff I do and how I would not necessarily take care of my voice the way that I should and how I'd be hoarse for like two or three days after a show because I've just completely blown the pipes out. And now right. Uh, you know that you you got to take care of it. It's it's an instrument. You gotta you gotta practice. You gotta make sure that you know. As I've gotten older, I actually took a page at Axl Rose's book and started doing vocal cool downs. And mm -hmm. it made sense as a runner. I was like, man, why would you want to sing after a show? And it's like, well, you'd stretch after a run, wouldn't you? Right. And you so, and you yeah. are stretching the vocal cords. And one big question: Do you smoke? I don't smoke, man. Yeah. 
because smoking dries the vocal cords. And Whitney was always smoking from very early on. And, you know, if you have, you know, we were talking about some of our favorites, like Phil Collins, who's 72. All he has is his voice, and thank God he has it. If he didn't have it, he couldn't be back out there. But he's got it because he's taking care of it. Uh, Paul McCartney, 80 years old, out there singing for two and a half hours and another hour and a half for the, the pre-show, for the VIP people. You know, three hours and 80 years old and, and still still has a voice, you know? Oh, yeah. Because it doesn't have to be over at a certain age if you take care of it. However, if, if you are known for your voice, you know, uh, Whitney Houston, Steve Perry, those kind of people, and you don't take care of it, as we saw that Steve hasn't done in many years, it, you know, the voice... It will leave you if you don't keep it in check. And, you know, for for those people where the voice was the center of it all, that's all they've got. And, and, it, and it was really tragic, you know, from like, you know, after the preacher's wife for Whitney. It just, something just went away. Uh it, for, for in, in my view, that's about when it was. Uh, and she just went out there and she just didn't have it anymore. And, well, and, and you're right. I mean, you can have the, you can have the, you can be absolutely blessed with a voice like Whitney's, but if you don't take care of it, and more importantly, if you refuse it the way that she abuses right. it with her lifestyle and, you know, smoking right. or no, just if you don't take care of it, yeah. it's not going to take care of you and it's not going to hold up. Right. So, and, and it's so sad to think, like I said, that, you know, otherworldly voice uh, to to you know lose that that high that high end that high note and then you know at the very end of it all still trying to chase it and just you know not not doing what you needed to do to take care of it. So. Yep, I agree. I agree one hundred percent. Well, Ezra, it is always it always means so much to me uh, to talk to you uh, at any level because uh, you are. A treasured friend, you're also a hero of mine. I am one of those people that wishes I could sing, but can't carry a tune in a bucket. So I live vicariously through people like you. Uh, uh, I I enjoy uh, your shows. I enjoy your talent. I thank you for what you bring um, to your audiences. Because I can tell you, with with your gift, you definitely make the world a better place. So I'm. Uh, it's always great to talk to you at any level, but in this particular instance, you've saved the podcast. So God bless you for that. Oh, I love you, buddy. I'm so happy to do it. I was so happy to do it. As always, it's always a pleasure to catch up and my happy new year to you and my, uh, my best to your girls. Yep. I love you too, man. And, uh, give Maggie a big hug for me and, and you all keep doing what you're doing. And, uh, let me know when you are in town or or doing doing a big show. I'll come and uh, do a write up for you. I love it. I okay. love it. I hope to see you soon. All right. Well, it's great talking to you. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thank you, brother. Take care. All right. Bye bye.